following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Amen. All right, let's open our Bibles. Let's, uh, we're going to go to the book of Hebrews this morning. Um, we are in a series, if you're new with us, uh, you should have got a bulletin when you walked in the door, and you'll have an outline on that bulletin that'll tell you uh, how long-winded the preacher is. Um, it will also have a few quotes in there that we will cover as we go along our time this morning. Uh, but we're in a series where we're talking about favorite text in the Bible, and this morning we're going to look at the book of Hebrews chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Now you can imagine in the job that I have that I get asked a lot of questions, um, from a variety of different angles. One of the questions I get asked the most, um, and it's normally when people are going through either a hard time, uh, they need some direction in life, um, maybe they're having a major trial, or I run into this one a lot, that people are wanting something new from God that's going to help them be inspired in their walk of faith. And it's usually this question, does God still speak today? I get asked it a lot. Does God still speak to us today? And, and maybe that's why you've come to church here today. Maybe you've come because you want and need something from God to reveal himself to you again, and you want to hear from God. Well, we're going to tell you this morning that, yes, God does still speak. But we're also going to tell you that he's, he has already spoken. He's already spoken to us in a powerful way. He's given us a final word in his son, Jesus. Now, just think how amazing this is in comparison to the amount of words that you might hear just on a given day today. I, I was doing some study on this this week, and um, the scientists and different people who study words have said that on average, the average individual will speak anywhere from 8,300 million words to 80, 86 million words in their entire lifetime. That's a lot of words. And then you combine that with the 7.8 billion people that are around the world and think about all the words that are being spoken of just today. They say that on average that women speak about 16,000 words in a day and men generally, it's going up now. It's about 15,000. It used to be 13,000. Now it's going up. Um, and you then think about all the words that you're hearing all the time. It, think about the text messaging you're receiving right now that you need to put your phone on silent for the rest of us. Right? Think about the emails that you've just read this morning. Think about, think about the news feed that you just read. Think about the sports article that you just looked at this morning. All the, all the words that are coming out, and then not to mention all the spoken words. And then marvel at this one thought, that when God wanted to say something finally, he gave us one word, and his name is Jesus. That's an amazing thought, that when God wanted to reveal finally who he is, what he is like, he gave us his son, Jesus. Now, if you're new with us, you can look on your outline, you'll see an, a big idea that's in the outline. And this is what we want to we see today from Hebrews chapter 1, God's final superior revelation is found in his son, Jesus. When we see and hear the Son, we see and hear the Father. No one else reveals God to us like Jesus. 
So let's stand together. We're going to read Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 4 together. And you'll see what I'm talking about when we read this text. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, I'll read it. You can follow along in your Bibles with me. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to us, to our fathers, by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds, all the, all, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that when we hear things and we see things that they are pointing us to you but we thank you most of all that when you wanted to specifically reveal who you are you sent us your son jesus and this morning as we look at this text would you open our eyes to the radiance of the glory of god to the exact imprint of your nature to the one the only one who has made purification for sins and who has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high would you turn our gaze to jesus And Father, would you speak to your people this morning? Would you open our eyes? Because we need it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Let's start by looking in our outline this morning at the first point, which is the importance of God revealing himself to us. You're going to notice something in these verses that they say something to us about God speaking to us or revealing himself to us. They, they say that God has spoken to us. The writer says that God had spoken in long ago at many times and in many different ways. In other words, God is not a God of shadows. He's not a secret God. He's not a hiding God. He's not, as some and some parts of Christendom say, he's not Jehovah Sneaky, who's hiding behind little bushes, hoping that you might be able to find him. No, he is a God who has revealed himself to us in many times and in many ways. I mean, think about this as a parent. If you want your children to know something, you will explain things to them in many different ways and in many different times. If they can't understand math, you will take your time to reveal to them how they could solve this math problem from many different angles and in many different ways. Or if you need to teach them, like I need to teach my 12-year-old son how to tie your shoes, you will do it in many different ways in many different times. You'll do it over and over and over again until finally you say, have we not talked about this before? (laughs) Well, much in the same way, This text tells us that God revealed himself to us in many times and in many ways. And just think about the ways the Bible tells us that God has spoken. We're told that the heavens declare the glory of God. I mean, you you can't, this is for me anyway, I can't look out here and not see mountains in the background and of course, for me, look upon the 90 feet bases and the 127 six a second base and 60 feet six and marvel at the glory of God, right? I mean, you, you can't help but see what God has created and think, wow. 
We're told in the book of Genesis that God made man in his image after his likeness, meaning you were made to display the glory of God. We're told in Romans chapter 1 that everything that has been created reveals the invisible attributes of God to such a degree that no one is without excuse for not knowing God. Every one of us can look out at what's been made and know there's a God. In other words, God, through all that he has made, has revealed enough about himself that all of us, everywhere at all times, can know that he is God. Now just think about this for a moment when you think about the majesty and the, 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 the sovereign nature of this almighty God. It tells us something about him. It tells us that God is willing and eager to be known. He's done it in many times and in many ways. And it's so remarkable about what is so remarkable about this is that if God had never revealed himself to us, we would never have known who God is. He could have stayed in secret. He could have stayed hidden in darkness. He could have just been the divine mover or the great flux as the old philosophers have called him, but that's not what he did. God revealing himself to us shows us his compassion, his care, his love for all that he has made, and it shows us his mercy and his grace. God has come out from behind the heavenly veil to reveal himself to us, and he did it in many times and in many ways. So just for a moment, would you marvel with me at this God? Marvel with me that God, the God of the universe, would reveal himself to us at all. Marvel that God, at his revealing of himself through the universe he has made and this amazing world that he has created, he is speaking to us. Marvel that we see God's hand in the smallest molecule and we see God's grandeur in the highest peaks. Marvel at the creativity of God that every human has ever been made has been made in the image of God, yet all distinct and different. All revealing something of the glory of God. And all these things that God has made to reveal himself are like breadcrumbs leading us to the majesty and splendor of God. Because long ago, in many times, and in many ways, God spoke to us about himself. It's simply breathtaking. It's, it's humbling when you think that the God of the universe cares enough about you to create something and open your eyes that there's a God. But now notice the second point in the text, because the text tells us something fascinating. It tells us how God specifically revealed some things about himself. It says, it tells us about the importance of God revealing himself through the prophets. Notice the writer used the word spoke. God spoke. This word encompasses all the ways that God has revealed himself. Now this is important because God didn't just create the world to speak so that everybody in the world could generally and generically know that there is a God, but rather he spoke in such a way through many things and in many different ways that we might know him personally and specifically. 
As an example of this, in Genesis chapter 1, the word, God, the phrase God said is used nine different times in that creation window, that creation uh, motif for a purpose, to help us realize that God is speaking through creation so that everyone everywhere can generally know about God. But when God wanted to specifically reveal himself, to give us personal details about who he is, about his character, about his attributes, and help us understand what he's really like. Notice what the text says. He spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And in the Bible, we see a variety of ways that God spoke like this. He spoke through his law, his covenants, his angels, handwriting on the wall, through a variety of miracles. But, but we're told that when he wanted to speak specifically to his people about specific things about God, he spoke through his prophets. And the importance of God revealing himself through the prophets is that the prophets were like the founding fathers of our faith. Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, just to name a few of these heroes of the faith, men who stood before kings, who declared the truth of God and the truth about God. Men who were unashamed to declare to Israel and to all the world that God is real, that He is holy, and He is jealous for His people with an everlasting love. And sometimes we can miss, as we read the stories of these men in the Bible, that they had a job to do. We think of Daniel in the lion's den as a mere children's story, but miss the fact that Daniel was a man who was honored. He was a godly man who, who God used to reveal himself to God, to his people and to the kings of Babylon. We can read about Moses and the parting of the Red Sea and miss that there was no other prophet on earth like Moses and that God called Moses the meekest man to ever live and God called him his friend. And sometimes we miss that these men had a specific job from God to do and it was about revealing who God is to God's people. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. In other words, unlike God using using and speaking through creation, God spoke specifically through these men, through these prophets, men who are called by God to reveal God through the words, the spoken words, the written words, and the lives that they lived that God is real. They were called to declare to God's people that God, by God's character, God's holiness, God's zeal, and God's way of salvation and restoration. Now here's the beauty of knowing that they, God spoke this way through these prophets. See, there, there are certain ways we can know about God through all the things we see. He's powerful. He's creative. He's awesome. He's got unusual power. But to know him specifically, what he's really like. He must reveal himself to us even more. And friends, what this tells us in Hebrews 1 is that God did just that. He spoke to our fathers through the prophets in a way that we could clearly know and understand who and what God is like. He gave us the prophets who declared who he is, what he desires, and how to be at peace with him. He did not leave us unaware, and he did not leave us uninformed. He specifically communicated to us by the prophets. He's willing to be known, specifically and personally. And he's made a way to be known, a way to be at peace with him by speaking with us through the prophets. And these prophets spoke to us in a progressive yet specific way about God.
What's fascinating about this text, though, is it doesn't stop there. The writer then goes into warp speed. You're going to notice this in the text. And what you should do as a preacher or a teacher of God's word is that when you read that God in the writings begin to speed up, you should speed up as well, right? The text is the thing that drives how you should talk about the text. And you're going to notice some things in this text where it begins to give us seven things about how God has spoken in a superior way. And we're going to notice beginning in, beginning at the end of verse 2 and end of verse 3, we're going to see the third point, which is the superiority of God's revelation in his son Jesus. That's our third point. In a sense, here's what the writer says. God has revealed himself in a lot of different ways, and he's done it for a long, long time. And he specifically told us what he's like through the prophets. But the prophet's knowledge was not final. It was progressive. It was ongoing. It was part of a, it was a one, one link in part of the chain that God is moving things forward. They were not good enough, nor were they thorough enough to reveal what God is clearly like and perfectly like. So God sent his son Jesus to do all of that. And his son is far superior to anything or anyone who has ever come before him or who will come after him. So much so that there is no need for another word from God because Jesus is it. So look with me what the writer says in rapid pace about the superiority of this revelation it found in Jesus. He says in verse 2, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. Now, just for a moment, notice what he says. The revelation that we received from the prophets was not enough. It was ongoing, but it was for a reason. It was pointing us ahead to something greater. As one commentator said, that Israel were like men listening to the clock, striking the hour, always getting nearer to the truth, but obligated to wait until the final Word was heard. And the writer of Hebrews says that final word is Jesus. The writer puts it like this. In these last days, God has finally, for all time, spoken to us by his Son. In other words, with the coming of Jesus, there is no need for another revelation from God about who God is. There's no need for another word from God about who God is because Jesus is it. The Son's revelation of God is so complete, so compelling, so revealing that there's no need for another word to reveal what God is like. The Son belongs to a completely different category than the prophets before Him and creation that was made by Him. It's simply astonishing. It's how superior the Son is. And then he begins to rip off these reasons why. Just notice what the way, verse 2, he says, the Son is the heir of all things, meaning this, that the Son is so superior because he regained and reclaimed what we as humans failed to keep. So you're aware, if you read your Bible, that we were given dominion over all the earth, but we failed in that dominion mandate because of our rebellion and sin against Almighty God. But this writer tells us that Jesus, the Son of God, regained the earth and reclaimed it by his life, his death, his resurrection. Only the Son is the heir of all things, and the heir of all things seen and unseen. The prophets aren't that, and neither are we. 
He tells us the universe too, that the Son is the one by whom God created the world. This tells us that when God generally revealed himself through creation, the Son's power did that. Telling us that all of creation was done by the Son's power. In Colossians, Paul wrote it this way, speaking of Jesus. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Let, let that settle in your heart a little bit when you worry about who's in the Oval Office. All things were created by him and through him, whether they're thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. The prophets didn't have this power. Creation doesn't have this power. Only the Son has this power. Rather, the prophets and all of creation were part of the creation created by the Son's power. A superior revelation. Verse 3, we're told that the Son is the radiance of the glory of God. Kenneth Weiss put it like this. He, speaking of Jesus himself, is the divine center of the outring of God's glory. Co-eternal and co-existent with the Father of the same substance as the Father, while the Son, by eternal generation from the Father, yet also God of very God, possessing in himself life and light. Only the Son radiates the glory of God perfectly. The prophet spoke about it. Creation reflects it. But the Son emanates it because that's who He is. Only only in Christ can we see the glory of God found in the face of Jesus Christ. In verse 3, we're told that the Son is the exact imprint of the nature of God. This means that when we see Jesus, we see God. See, this is what sets Jesus apart from the prophets and all other revelations that might go on in our world. None of them can bear the perfect stamp of God's glorious nature. See, the heavens declare the glory of God, but the heavens are not the exact imprint of God's holiness, God's love, God's mercy, and God's grace. Yes, we as humans are made in the image of God to glorify God, but not one person except Jesus could be spoken of as the exact imprint of God's glory. Not one. Only Jesus. When the prophets spoke, they were mouthpieces for God. But when the Son spoke, He is God. Completely different in His revelation. And then the writer tells us in verse 3 that the Son upholds all things by the word of His power. Now just for a moment, think about this. We like to sing a little song. He's got the whole world in His hands. Little kids learn that song. What's fascinating about this verse is it tells us something. The strength and power of Jesus is so unique that he doesn't use his hands to uphold all things. He uses a word. One word seems so fleeting to us, but the power of the Son of God is so vast that it holds the universe together. Simply amazing. He enables all things by speaking life 
into them. Paul would say it's in him that we move and breathe and have our being. He breathes life into every living thing. He causes the earth to spin, the sun to rise, and the birds to fly, all by his word. Can't you hear him speaking to Job? Job, where were you when I commanded the morning? And Job thinking, I, I, I don't... I, I've never had that power. And the son's saying, I have that power, so shut your mouth and marvel at the living God. He is not like the God of deism who just set the world on its axis and spun it and backed away from it, never to be involved ever again. No, Jesus, according to this text, is personally and presently involved in sustaining all things by the word of his power. Friends, the breath of the Son of God is the glue that holds everything together and keeps everything moving forward for God's intended purposes. That is simply astonishing. The prophets by their word declared God's glory, but the Son by His word holds all things together. Do you see how vastly superior He is? In verse 3 we're told the writer says the Son made purification for our sins. Friends, this is where the uniqueness and the superiority of Jesus is on full display. What God, what God who upholds all things by the word of his power decides, I will enter that world and make purification for their sins. See, this, this phrase gets us deeper into the special way of God revealing himself to us through Jesus. Even though we can understand the invisible attributes of God through all that has been made, we cannot understand, we cannot understand how our sins could be forgiven or cleansed. This is why Jesus came. He came to show us how our sins could be forgiven by God and we could be made right with God. He is the only one who has made purification for our sins. The one by his death paid for our sins and by his resurrection secured our salvation. Listen, the prophets didn't do this. We can't do this. No one can do this. Every other religion in the world will tell you to atone for and pay for your own sins, not the Christ of Christianity. No, this Christ, this special revelation from God says God will purify your sins through his son, Jesus. This special revelation from God, this special word from God is something only Jesus can do. This word from God allows us to know how we can have a relationship with God because Jesus has made purification for our sins. We can know God personally and specifically Because our sins have been forgiven. And finally, notice what the writer says at the end of verse 3. He wrote, the Son has sat down at the right hand of God. Which prophet claims this? Does Elijah? What about Isaiah? Moses? What about Buddha? Confucius? What about Karl Marx? What, Ronald Reagan? What, Bill Clinton? LeBron James? Babe Ruth? None. None can claim that they are seated at the right hand of God. There is only one mediator between God and man, and it's the man, Christ Jesus. 
There is no one at God's right hand except the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus' exaltation to God's right hand reveals something about him, doesn't it? It reveals he's in a position of unparalleled honor and universal authority. And he's seated in this position. You know what that means? He's quite comfortable in his rulership. He's quite comfortable that his earthly work is completed, that the purification for sins has been accomplished, and he sits there as the king of kings and lord of lords. No, no one, no prophet, no king, no angel, nothing in the entire universe is as superior as the Son of God is in his revealing of who God is. And no one will ever take his throne. Aren't you glad about that? You can say amen to that. It's okay. I know there's a veil here. I know there's a net. Just get beyond the net, all right? All of this reveals something, that the Son of God is God himself. P.T. O'Brien, in your notes, he, here's what he wrote. For the Son to be the kind of direct, authentic, and compelling expression of the Father described in these verses, he must participate somehow in the being of God itself. That is, he must himself be deity to accomplish the wonderful mission described in these verses. Friends, Jesus is the superior and final word from God about who God is. Now let's take a couple things home with us I think are really pertinent to our world that we all live in right now. And the first one is this. There's no need for another revelation. There is huge danger right now lurking in the world of Christendom. It's a hunger for new revelation. Something new from God that will finally inspire us to be all that we need to be. We want God to speak to us. We want God to reveal himself to us. We want God to show his love to us again. We want us to see his mercy on display again. We want direction for our lives again. We want to know what God's purposes are again. And the danger of that search, if we're not careful, is we miss something very simple. Jesus is it. In the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul warned the Corinthians, I'm afraid that you'll be lured away by the deceptiveness of the devil from the simplicity of your devotion to Christ. If we're not careful, this lure for wanting something new, always leaning in, wanting some angelic being to speak to us, will lure us away from the simplicity that Jesus is the final word from God. And if you want to know the Father, know what the Father spoke through the Son. We do not need another revelation of God's word for us and God's love for us because we know love by this, that He, Jesus, gave up His life for us. We do not need another revelation of God's grace to us because we know that it's by grace we have been saved and that's through Jesus Christ. We do not need another revelation of truth once again because we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and no one can come to the Father except through Him. That moment when Pilate said, what is truth? Don't you wish Jesus would have just said, you're looking at Him. 
So let me call us as a church to this. Let's, let's be a church that rests in, that trusts in with all of our hearts. I mean, right now and for all of eternity, let's, let us be a church that marvels at the superiority of the revelation that's already been given in Jesus. Let, let's be that church that just says, there's no need for another revelation. Jesus is it. Does this mean that God doesn't encourage us periodically? No, he does. Does this mean that God doesn't give us impulses at times to give us direction? No, he does. But we are never in search again for another word about who God is and how to be found in him. Never again. You're never in search again for if God loves you because Jesus is it. You're never again in search of, will God have mercy upon your soul because Jesus is it. Let's be that church that just says the gospel of Jesus is such glorious news. It reveals to us the final word from God. So listen, if you come here today and you want to hear from God, this is it. Jesus Christ is the final and superior word from God to you. Stop looking for another word about how to be reconciled to God. Come to Christ. God has revealed himself to you through Jesus. He is loving. He is kind. He is good. He is merciful. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in loving kindness toward those who are in Christ. Do you believe him? Do you trust him? Do you hope in him? Listen, if you're here and you don't know Christ, we're telling you, believe in Jesus. Talk to one of the friends that are here. would love to chat with you about coming to Christ. But let me also give a word to those of you who already are Christians. We can get really unsettled in this world we live in. What's the purpose of this tragedy? What's the purpose of that thing? Why did God do this? What's going on here? And miss the simplicity that is found in devotion to Christ. And you've heard me say this before so often. When you get in those moments of discouragement, preach the good news of the gospel to yourself again and again and again and again and again and again and again. For what reason? Because there will be a day when you get to heaven and you will say, worthy is the lamb who was slain. You will preach the gospel again that day. You might as well get ready for it now and this day. There is no need to be looking for a new revelation of God. It is found in Christ. If you want to hear from God, hear from the Son. God has spoken. And the last thing I would just say to us to take home is don't aim too low. I, I really, I, I'm a guy who loves general and natural revelation. You can tell by the way I do life. If you know me very well, I love to be outside. I like to see the heavens declaring the glory of God. I love powerful rivers. I love walking through nature. I love seeing God's hand. I, I, it's not beyond me or my wife to see something in creation and stop for a moment, hand in hand, and just say, honey, let's just worship God. Is this amazing? I love sports. I know that shocks you, right? I'm amazed by what athletes do, if you've ever seen them. Seeing a baseball player hit a ball over 110 miles an hour is an absolute blow your mind. Better watch out. It will hurt you if it hits you. 
type of moment. It's crazy to see that. Watching a dude jump over a wall and catch a ball, make a diving catch, make a throw that goes 300 feet to get a guy out of third base on the dime. That stuff is crazy. Watching people run like a gazelle, it just blows your mind watching this stuff happen. It's amazing to me. My tendencies, though, may be like you, is I stop and I just marvel at the awesomeness of that moment And I enjoy the creation God gave and sometimes fail to let that be the breadcrumb leading me to the throne of God. It sometimes stops me from marveling again and saying, God, you're using this to draw my attention to the sun once again. As beautiful as the mountains are, the son of God is so much more superior As powerful as an athlete is, the Son of God created that being to do that very thing. Does that, that's crazy news. You ever watch a great drummer and you think to yourself, how does he do that? It looks like Spider-Man with eight different arms doing his thing. God created that individual to say something to you about the glories of his great Son. What an amazing thought. Don't aim too low when you look out. All around you. Let it lure you further into the heavenly realm to glory about the Son. That God has spoken to you specifically about His Son. Let me just give you another caution though. Don't don't aim too low when you read your Bible. When you say your prayers in the morning. When you hear the Word of God preach. When a friend comes up and speaks God's truth into your life. Don't aim too low because we're not careful We begin to aim too low and just marvel at our intellect that we just happen to understand what God's word says. Other people's gifts who are preaching to us, and we think that's really amazing, or our friendships that are talking to us, rather than marveling that the Son of God is speaking to us. The Son of God is drawing your attention to his word, would bring a friend along to talk to you about Jesus, to draw your attention to Christ. So do not aim too low. Don't aim too low when God makes himself known to us. Listen, general revelation and all that God created is intended to point you to the one who created it all by the word of his power. General revelation is to bow its knee to special revelation found in God's Son. The prophets were given, preachers were given to point us ahead to Christ. And they're to bow their knees to the revelation found in the Son of God about God. And when God uses friends or His Word or His Spirit to speak something in your life, it is intended to cause your heart to bow your knee to the Son of God who is the superior revelation over all things. So friends, let's, let's, let's aim high. Let's aim high. Let's, let's aim high and worship Jesus as lovely and superior and glorious to all other words that are going to be spoken today. Because there's a lot of them. God's final, superior revelation is found in His Son, Jesus. When you see and hear the Son, you see and hear the Father. No one reveals God to us like Jesus. Let's pray.
Father, this morning, you have drawn our attention to Jesus. And I pray through that attention-grabbing that you would help us see that you, you are not satisfied by just giving us creation. You want us to know you personally as our God, as our Father, as our friend. And when you went to speak specifically about that, you sent us your son Jesus, the friend who sticks closer than a brother. the older brother who chases us while we're in our sin to draw us back to the Father's house. The one who came to live perfectly in our place because we can't and we don't and we won't. And the one who died in our place to satisfy your holy law. You you want us to know you. And you gave us your son Jesus. So this morning, I I pray for us. I pray for my friends that are here. I pray for those that this morning that they've never responded to Christ. And they've heard this morning the good news of the gospel, that they can know God personally as a friend. That they they don't have to be separated from God anymore. And I pray this morning right now that you would turn their attention to Jesus. Bring them to repentance and help them to believe in Christ. And if that's you this morning... Would you just right now pray in your heart, God, would you please forgive me of my sin and thank you for Christ. I believe in Jesus. If that's you, I want to encourage you to talk to somebody before you go today. And then, Father, I pray for my Christian friends. They claim Christ. Many of them are discouraged. They don't know what to make of all the goings and comings in this world. They struggle with things they see around them. They, they're battling through a variety of trials, whether it's job losses or finances or friends or whatever it may be. Would you draw their attention to the simplicity of your revelation found in Christ? That you have a plan and your plan is to glorify your son in all things and that includes that individual. This morning, would you speak to them about the glorious revelation found in Christ? And then lastly, Lord, would you help us to be a church that that is built upon the foundation of the gospel of Christ, the good news. That there is no other centerpiece to the wheel. There is no other purpose but that we might be a church that glorifies Christ, that, that recognize the final revelation found in Christ about God, and that we continue to point people to Christ. For your glory, for the advancement of your gospel, 
and for the good of all people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.